Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Middle-income families need help. We're coming out of COVID-19. We want to keep our economy strong. When you have an infrastructure bill, there's spinoffs of that. There's spinoffs in cities and towns all across America. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. I do believe the vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is is to share the science, share the facts share the benefits. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden delivers his most complete remarks yet on the situation in Afghanistan. Even took reporters questions this time as the U.S. military continues to evacuate thousands of Americans and our Afghan allies from Kabul. And coming up, we'll talk about rescuing those allies from the Taliban and what happens after we leave with Omar Samad, former Afghan ambassador to Canada and an expert on the region, we'll assemble as well our Friday Reporters Roundtable. This week, we've got Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove joining Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. They'll be with us in a moment. And welcome to the Friday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. This is one of the, lar- this is one of the largest, most difficult airlifts in history. And the only country in the world capable of projecting this much power on the far side of the world with this degree of precision, is the United States of America. President Biden today in the East Room, where he was flanked by Vice President Kamala Harris, Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, all masked, standing on the carpet, making clear all Americans, the president says, who want to get out of the country will get out. And the same, he says, goes for our Afghan allies. Yes, we're making the same commitment. There's no one more important than bringing American citizens out. I acknowledge that. But they're equally important almost as all those who, those SIVs, we call them, who in fact helped us. Some of the most direct language, frankly, the most direct commitment to that end that we have heard from the president over the past week, just a couple of days ago when he was talking on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos, it was, we'll do what we can. Now it appears to be a guarantee. Though some say those same interpreters, drivers, contractors who helped us, helped Americans in the war, are already being hunted down by the Taliban. And joining us to talk about what's happening right now on the ground in Kabul and what might be next for this new government is Omar Samad, former Afghan ambassador to Canada, a position he held from 2004 to 2009. He was also Afghan ambassador to France. Mr. Ambassador, thanks for joining us. Do you believe it is possible for the U.S. to evacuate Afghans as well as Americans who want to leave? Well, um Thank you, Joe. I think initially it's important that, um, and it's the responsibility uh, of the President of the United States and the government to make sure that the Americans uh, are out. And and anyone uh, with ties to America, like uh, permanent residents and others. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are those Afghans uh, who have played a role and helped the American uh, presence in Afghanistan since 2001. 
So there are probably a lot of people. But I also have to tell you that one estimate is that already 70,000, 70,000 Afghans who were part of this contingent of Afghans who helped Americans already are in the United States. And so now we're expecting maybe tens of thousands more coming to the U.S. Uh, And you have to vet all of this. You have to make sure that these are people who uh, are part of this large contingent who uh, can apply and want to apply and need to come to safety if there is a need for them to do so. Well, there are reports that some of our Afghan allies are already being hunted down, as I mentioned. Some uh, Taliban showing up at, at homes at night, knocking on doors, looking for these people. And one of them was asked about today. Abdul was his name, an ABC News reporter. I guess they they'd profiled him and they followed up on him. His family says the Taliban came hunting him down last night. This is what the president said in response. We want you to be able to get to the airport, contact us. We'll see whatever we can do to get you there. We've got to get you out. We are committed to deal with you, your wife, and your child to get all three of you out of Afghanistan. That's the commitment. I guess I'd ask you again then, Ambassador, is that possible to fulfill that commitment? Of course. So the, uh, I mean, uh, the, the... The Taliban have uh, made a few pledges, and the president also mentioned that. They have, on one hand, proclaimed full, total, 100% amnesty across the board to anyone who has been part of the last 20 years' years, uh, missions. Now, are they going to stick to this? Are they going to, uh, can they be trusted with that? I don't know. We'll have to see. Obviously, there are cases where this doesn't doesn't really uh, apply. Yeah. Then you have the Afghans themselves, who they are also opportunists in the middle of this. There are people who really don't deserve, or they are not part of this contingent. Uh, there are people who pretend that they need and they want to take it out. But then you have to make sure that those who are uh, deserving and they, they are willing to do this get to apply and get through the system. Well, this is why, of course, you know, the Taliban itself is apparently checking paperwork here at a series of gates that have been set up around the airport. You know, the Taliban ambassador. Do you trust the people guarding those gates to let the right people through? Well, I, I can't tell you if I trust them or not. It's a question of having an agreement that you stick to and yeah. make sure that both sides do what they have to do. So far, it's not like the gates are being closed. The Taliban are allowing people to come in. It's just a question of who are they allowing to come in, who are they uh, uh, pushing back, and why are they doing so? And is this is this just hype, or is it reality? Is it one place? Is it all over the place? So what they have done is kept away from the perimeter. And so keeping away from the perimeter means that they have respected the fact that the airport and wherever there are U.S. and, and Afghan, still Af- old Afghan government forces, that, that, that they are not going to intrude. And that, I think, uh, is a good step. But at the same time, you have to hold them accountable. We're talking with Omar Samad, senior advisor to the chief executive of Afghanistan, former Afghan ambassador to Canada and France. I want to ask you about the future. What form of government, if, if any form, if I'm going in the right direction here, will this new one take, Ambassador? Will the Taliban allow politics to be determined by ballots or bullets? Well, 
it may be neither one. I hope it's not the bullet, and I, I, my hope is that eventually it's going to be the ballot, uh, meaning that we will have to go through stages now with the Taliban. We need to engage them. We need to make sure they understand that what the Afghan people want. And we need to make sure that there's participation in the political arena in Afghanistan. They need to understand that there are certain rights that the people of Afghanistan have had and would want to continue to have, like the right to decide who should lead them through a mechanism that works for Afghans. We've had bad experiences with democracy in Afghanistan because Mr. Ghani and others manipulated the elections, and it was fraudulent. So that's why people are very turned off by it. Then the Taliban need to make sure to understand that people have certain rights like the right to express themselves, freedom of expression, media, uh, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. So there is a lot that we have to discuss with them, and we cannot have expectations without a dialogue. It's important for the Afghan political class that remains in Afghanistan to engage the Taliban and for the Taliban and them to sit down and think about a new political order that works for the majority of Afghans. It may not mm-hmm. be the perfect model that we like here in the United States or somebody likes in Switzerland or, 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 or China or wherever it may be. They need to come up with an Afghan system that the Afghan people can trust and, and embrace. Should the U.S. acknowledge uh, the Taliban as a legitimate government? Is it in the U.S.'s best interest to work with the Taliban, not only for ourselves, but for our friends in Afghanistan? Well, it depends on how we define work. Uh, I think that the, the, there, there, there ought to be some conditions, some red lines that we need to draw. Uh, if you feel like you want to take power all by yourself, you're not willing to share the cake, and you want to eat the whole cake yourself, then there will be problems. You won't get the kind of assistance you may need. You won't kind, get the kind of recognition you need. But then... At the same time, we need to realize that there's a huge humanitarian crisis underway in Afghanistan, so we need to engage at some other level to make sure that hundreds of thousands of Afghans don't suffer more than they already have, right? And so it's a a very difficult situation to manage, and the Taliban obviously have to uh, assure not only the Afghan people but also the international community about their commitments and their ideas, and their actions, not just words. Ambassador, uh, with all of that said, uh, we've apparently got a G7 meeting coming up next week. You know who the players are. President Biden said today he spoke with Boris Johnson, he spoke with Emmanuel Macron, he spoke with Angela Merkel. They're trying to put up a united front here. What do you understand about the the back-channel communications, though, between the U.S. and our European allies? They have people on the ground there, too. Yes, I think the G7 is going to try to come up with a unified position about recognition of the Taliban, uh, putting forth conditions to the Taliban about future assistance and engagement, and also making sure that they are responsible towards the Afghan people in terms of humanitarian assistance that they need at this point. Uh, But having said this, this is the G7, right? These are the the wealthiest countries in the world, Mm -hmm. the the most advanced countries in the world. 
there are 190-something other countries in the world, including Russia, China, India, Iran, Pakistan, their neighbors of Afghanistan. So it becomes more complicated because they all have their own approach towards Afghanistan, and they care as well because they are there in the region or next door to Afghanistan. And as a result, what we eventually need is a larger international agreement on how to deal with Afghanistan so that the Taliban understand what they need to do and the international community also can impact the situation in a constructive and positive manner. And that's coming up soon. That's next week. Omar Samad, former Afghan ambassador to Canada and France, we thank you for being with us. Breaking news from the FDA coming up. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for spending part of your Friday with us here on Bloomberg Sound On with breaking news from the New York Times. As you heard on Bloomberg Radio, the FDA now aiming for full approval of Pfizer's COVID vaccine on Monday. When you get back to work on Monday, and by that I mean your house, looks like we'll have full approval and Well, one less excuse for people to not get the shot. Also, a bit of a Friday news dump coming out of the White House. Here we are talking Afghanistan. They had all the reporters in the East Room. Everybody goes home. Then, blam, comes the news release. President Biden nominating Rahm Emanuel to be his ambassador to Japan. Nick Burns, ambassador to China. Just a couple of the things we're going to talk about with our reporters' roundtable. And they're here now. Bloomberg Governments. Jack Fitzpatrick is with us, no stranger to this program and this microphone, along with Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove. Thanks to both of you for being here. Josh, I'm going to start with you because you're at the White House. Before we get to Afghanistan, uh, the significance of these two appointments, Rom and Nick Burns, Japan, China. Why so late on a Friday? Josh, you with us? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I thought, you know, we got such a great roundtable here, Joe. I thought you were talking to Jack. Forgive you know, me. I picked uh, you, you first, know. my man. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, with all due respect to Jack, happy to go first. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, the, this has been percolating for a while, in particular the Rahm Emanuel one is a bit yeah. of a controversial one that yeah. will be a bit of a lightning rod. Um, so they're dumping it, not a, you know, on a Friday in August. You know, uh, a controversial week for them in particular. So I, I think they're just trying to get this one out the door. Uh, you did mention the uh, uh, the FDA uh, approval. This is a big step. This would, of course, be full approval instead of emergency authorization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm told that the Times report is accurate, uh, that this could come next week. And uh, President Biden in particular has been publicly saber-rattling for this. He thinks it would reduce hesitancy. Other people don't seem so sure. But at least it would take away one excuse that people would have for not getting the shot. So, yeah, yeah like a, lot of, a lot of news happening at this time of day. Well, that's for sure. Jack, do these uh, do these two nominees uh, have a glide path on Capitol Hill? We're going to have a big fight about these. I mean, Rahm Emanuel was never going to have a, a glide path. Huh. That's why, you know, there, there was early, early speculation that he was going to get something really significant like transportation secretary before it moved to Buttigieg. There's such a history of conflict between Rahm Emanuel and yeah. progressives that yeah. I, I don't even know exactly how to sum it up. But also, as mayor of Chicago, there was the the controversy over the police who shot a young black man. That was sort of the, the latest thing that I think did him in for a little while. I was a little surprised that, you know, 
ambassador to Japan is a pretty significant thing. It's not an honorary position. The, yeah. the focus on East Asia is really significant for the Biden administration. It's, oh, a, you know, it's right. a major thing. Uh, uh, Josh, I was telling everyone when this headline broke, if they didn't know the story, to go read the steak knife uh, story about Rahm Emanuel, uh, which I, I will tell all of our listeners to do now. But let's get to the matter at hand, and that's Afghanistan. President Biden speaking today from the East Room. In the past few days... I've also spoken directly with the British Prime Minister, Mr. Johnson, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, and President Macron of France. We all agreed that we should convene, and we will convene, the G7 meeting next week, a group of the world's leading democracies, so that together we can coordinate our mutual approach, our united approach on Afghanistan and moving forward. Josh Wingrove, what do those three leaders actually think about what's going on right now? Do we have a sense of, of how upset they are, how worried they are about their own people? I mean, publicly, I think that it's less of a sense than privately. But, you know, Biden was asked today, how can people take you at your word that America is back, right? I mean, this, he pledged sort of a renewed engagement on the global scene. The Trump era was over, et cetera, et cetera. And now, uh, of course, there are all these kinds of questions about this withdrawal. And, of course, as we discussed, the, the reporting uh, from our colleagues uh, in Europe about Biden pledging that the U.S. would stay there to help other countries. And now, of yeah. course, that's fully up in the air. Today, Biden did open the door a little bit to saying past August 31st would remain to be seen if he'll do that, in particular, if he'll do that if Americans are out, but Afghans are not yet out. Those SIVs are not yet out. I think that's an open question. There's some reporting from our, our, our colleagues in other news outlets that Biden is worried about the political blowback of a wave of Afghan refugees. Mm-hmm. Who knows if that's the case? But, you know, I think overall, Biden is trying to walk a tightrope here. Larry Summers talked to Bloomberg earlier today, said he doesn't think that uh, people are appreciating the kind of pressure Afghanistan's economy will be under. We did hear Biden allude to that today and say that he uh, maybe uh, the Taliban will be incentivized, essentially, to not uh, be the Taliban of old. Uh, A lot of analysts, of course, think that they'll believe that when they see it, is putting it generously. We heard this week, uh, Jack, in our remaining moment here from Mitch McConnell, he was on the Hugh Hewitt program talking about the withdrawal. I think the policy would work. But if we had to get out, uh, I cannot think of a more botched, embarrassing setback for our country than this. I mean, it makes the retreat from Saigon uh, look well organized. That's quite a statement from Mitch McConnell, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised. It does lead one to believe what Republicans might be planning to do with this politically. Oh, yeah, this is going to be something they beat Biden over the head with for a, a long time. Um, I don't know if that changes the polls fundamentally on the public support for pulling out of Afghanistan. It's not going well in terms of how they do it, uh, but is this a fundamental issue? I, I think we'll have to see. We're going to talk about that coming up with Elaine Kmark, senior fellow in the Governance Studies Program at Brookings, former White House veteran in the Clinton years. Will this damage Joe Biden's credibility on Capitol Hill? It's coming up. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, biggest tax hike on wealthy since 1993 bogs down in Congress. Laura Davison writes, tax committee is likely to miss September 15 deadline to finish text. We're going to look inside this debate around infrastructure reconciliation and, of course, the taxes that will help to pay for it. Coming up with Lane Kmark, senior fellow in the governance studies program at Brookings, a White House veteran from the Clinton years. Thank you for making Bloomberg Sound on part of your Friday. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we turn to the debate surrounding infrastructure, taxes, and spending. And we bring in a veteran of Democratic politics in the White House, for that matter, Elaine Kmark, Senior Fellow in the Governance Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. Welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Well, thank you for having me. We've been talking a lot about Afghanistan this week, of course, uh, certainly through the day-to-day. But we're going to be back in the throes of the budget and infrastructure debate when lawmakers return to town next week. How could this White House and the Democratic leadership in Congress keep this party together at this critical moment when progressives and moderates seem to have such different priorities? Basically, you have a leadership team in the Congress of Pelosi, Hoyer, and Clyburn. They get a lot of criticism because they're all old. On the other hand, they know a little bit about how to make this happen, how to cut the deals, and how to make everybody happy and get it done. My guess is that there will be a lot of hard work in the next couple of weeks, but that they will get a, a reconciliation bill done and they'll get an infrastructure bill done. So you're going with those who have experience. What do you make of, for instance, the co-chairs of the Blue Dog Coalition opposing efforts to follow this rule to do reconciliation first? We've got a group of moderates who are threatening not to vote. Same deal. We've got progressives who say they won't vote for hard infrastructure unless they get their reconciliation. (laughs) Uh, Is this just par for the course for Nancy Pelosi or, or is this because it's so tight in the House? Is this a bit of a fracture? It's hard to say because so far we just have some posturing going on. Eventually, frankly, they're going to have to vote for both of them. And, you know, whether they vote for one 15 minutes before the other or however they work it out, um, that's what Pelosi is going to have to do. Remember, Obama White House had given up on health care reform when Pelosi pulled it out. So these old war horses, they know something. There's been a lot of question, and I'm sure you've heard people ask if if this whole controversy over our withdrawal from Afghanistan damages the president's credibility to a point where it impacts this debate. Do you see that crossover there, or are these two different issues? There's no doubt that the president has taken a hit because of what's gone on in Afghanistan. On the other hand, they're two very different issues. I mean, people really want this infrastructure bill. 
Unions really want this infrastructure bill. Workers really want this infrastructure bill. Uh, Republicans really want an infrastructure bill. And on the social spending, it's been a long time since we had a bump up in the social safety net. So I think there's a lot of support on the merits for these issues. And the president's troubles in Afghanistan, while I think serious, I don't think they're going to impact this debate. I wonder what you make of the tax debate that's happening right now on Capitol Hill with regard to reconciliation. That's where this is going, right? We're talking about the biggest tax hike on the wealthy since 1993. But there are a lot of disagreements about how it should be done. You've been involved in debates like this. And do you Mm -hmm. see this slowing down the process or do you have a sense of how this is going to end? Will the wealthy get that tax hike? Um, They probably will. Um, The degree to which they will is, of course, an open question. And look, the way these have always happened, including the big tax changes that happened during the Trump administration and the big tax changes that happened back in the 80s during the Reagan administration, is it's an absolute last minute deal. You know, everybody knows what the issues are. They have a range uh, of estimates of how much money they'll bring in. And it boils down to arithmetic. You know, you take a certain percentage for the corporate tax rate, a certain percentage for capital gains, a certain percentage for carried interest. I mean, these are some of the big ones on the table that are probably going to, you know, happen. Um, And you put it together and you see if you have close enough to the money you need. Uh, They never quite come up with the money (laughs) that they need. But uh, that's also because the uh, CBO and, and OMB do not engage in what's called dynamic scoring, mm-hmm. sort of a technical term. You'd be surprised dynamic. how much we've talked about this on there. We like to wonk out have, around here, Elaine, but, oh, but, but oh, keep going okay. with that because it's important. Good. All right. So, you know, so the question always, especially in something big like this, like spending on infrastructure, is how much good will it do to the economy? And if it does, you know, contribute to significant growth, significant growth contributes to significant tax revenues. Mm -hmm. And yet the government, for for good reasons, right, has always resisted using dynamic scoring. They just say, here's how much this is going to cost. If you want to pay for it, here's how much you have to raise. And they don't make any assumptions about growth. And you think Um, they should? Well, no, I don't think they should because, frankly, that's a slippery slope because then it becomes really subject to politics. The reason I bring it up is that a lot of times they don't cover exactly what the costs are supposed to be with revenue raisers, but it doesn't really matter because everybody knows that particularly on something like infrastructure, there will be some tax growth as a result of this. You know, they'll probably come up a little short of what it actually costs, but you got to get into people's comfort zone. You have to get into Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema's comfort zone on those assumptions. Yes. And then I think you'll have a deal. Does that um, bring it down to, say, $2 trillion instead of this 3 we're hearing to, to get the Manchins and Cinemas on board? They have not said yet. We don't know what their magic number is. Sure. We know that they're uncomfortable with the $3.5 trillion. And they may look at revenue estimates. They may look at the at the tax changes and say, "Okay, we're comfortable with 2.75 or something like this." Mm-hmm. The, the 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 good thing about these debates is that it is arithmetic. 
it boils down to arithmetic, right? And you can all, if people want it to happen, you can split the difference and you'll still get something. Um, and something, of course, is better than nothing. Um, now, there's, there's certain people on the far right and the far left of the Congress who, um, frankly, don't think, don't think like that. But most people would rather have a deal that brings, you know, some bridges, some roads, some new airport stuff to their counties than uh, have no deal at all. Elaine K. Mark, Senior Fellow, Governance Studies at Brookings. It's great to have you back on Bloomberg. Appreciate your insights today, Elaine. Let's talk again when we get closer to a deal. Great. Thank you. Happy to do it. As we carry on here on a Friday on Bloomberg Sound On, coming up, we'll bring back the panel. Josh Wingrove, Jack Fitzpatrick with a lot to talk about from infrastructure to vaccines. Breaking news from the FDA today. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Evacuations in Afghanistan will roll into next week and beyond, it appears, even as lawmakers return to Washington on Monday to resume the debate over infrastructure. We're joined now in our Sound On Friday Reporters Roundtable by Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg Government. Josh Wingrove with us, too, White House correspondent for Bloomberg News. Uh, Jack, uh, this is big stuff. We've been waiting for this. The House finally is going to tackle this matter that's really largely been uh, occupying time in the Senate lately. Nancy Pelosi is sticking to her guns this week, even told the caucus, I believe, as recently as Tuesday that, no, we're we're going reconciliation first. And that is the way this is going to happen. Right. This is the rule that's been endorsed by the White House. Yeah, this is the 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 plan is to hold the vote that would set the stage for that three and a half trillion dollar bill and do what Pelosi said a couple months ago, saying we are going to hold on to that infrastructure bill and not hold a vote until we've gotten the three and a half trillion dollar bill through. There are enough people complaining about that among moderate Democrats to actually tank the vote. But we're going to have to see if they actually vote no when they can see that she essentially seems to be calling their bluff. Well, do you have a sense of that before I ask Josh about the White House side of this? I, I hate to try to read the tea leaves a ton, but I would point out there were the objections from the nine moderates. And then today they followed up. They did not do a unified letter saying we are voting no. They all put out individual statements Mm -hmm. saying we don't really like this plan. None of them specifically said today we're voting no. And actually three of the nine said I'd really like to vote for this budget resolution, but I just want infrastructure to come first. Well, Elaine Kmark said, look, you're going to have to vote on both uh, at some point. You're going to get what's in both if you want them. So what matter does the order make? Josh, uh, is is the White House capable of managing this Afghanistan situation and also engaging with lawmakers this week? Well, yeah, it's fun. Depending on what you ask them about, they can walk and chew gum or they can't, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Afghanistan, it was, it was take, we got to go or we got to stay. They, they were like, <laughs> there's no middle ground. And of course, critics say there is. You ask them about vaccines, they say they can do it all uh, and that, every, you know, supply is infinite, which of course is not the case. And so here, you know, there is, I think, a, a relation here. They can probably manage it, but it depends on whether Afghanistan deteriorates 
Um, and, you know, it depends on whether this becomes, like Biden's coattails become unfavorable, right, for a lot of these mm-hmm. folks. And some, some, depending, I suppose, could get some uh, cold feet if, you know, Biden starts to be in a real crisis and they think, oh, you know what, I would really rather talk about is an infrastructure bill at the doors. But, you know, broadly speaking, Biden is, has tried to sort of stay out of it a little bit, shepherd it forward, call for passage of both bills, leave the details up to Pelosi. I think we'll continue to see him do that. He was supposed to go to Delaware today. He did not do that. So, you know, the Biden, you know, his vacation week, Joe, has not panned uh, out. That's what yep. has been the plan initially. So, well, what was we'll up with that? Were they worried about optics uh, to be showing up in Wilmington this weekend? He wants to be hard at work here, even though he would do the same thing there? I mean, it's not uh, it, it's easy to come to that conclusion. One has suspicions, no doubt. But yeah. Joe Biden is a guy that changes his mind on the schedule once in a while. He's not exactly always on time for press conferences, <laughs> that sort of thing. Show me a world leader that is. Frankly. Well, right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're busy people. So it, who's to say? Who's, I don't want to jump to conclusions. You see how so diplomatic. I've not, not nailed that to the wall. Yeah, diplomatic Josh Wingrove is. We we could all learn something from Josh. Does the, yeah, sure. that, is there anything to this? I'll ask both of you. This idea that that getting bogged down in Afghanistan, losing credibility on the advance of the Taliban, will somehow impact votes on something like infrastructure on Capitol Hill, or is this uh, people in the media asking questions to fill time? Or is, do they have anything to do with each other, Jack? Uh, the topics don't really have much to do with each other, right. but the president's popularity is kind of central to a lot of things. You know, if things really, de- like Josh said, if things really, really deteriorate and you see a plummeting approval rate for the president, especially if there's a bunch more back and forth on infrastructure. You know, a lot of people want infrastructure, the infrastructure bill to become law. If it keeps going back and forth between the House and Senate, House makes changes and we keep having to have votes. Sure. Uh, how many people want to stick by the Biden infrastructure plan? But really, you know, they can walk and chew gum and do two or three separate tracks at the same time if they really want to. Well, sure. Look, even if you're you're angry at this president, this White House, Josh, about Afghanistan, you, you still need to fix your bridge, right? Yeah, I mean, I... I uh, it, this bill has been written off over and over and over, it seems. And, of course, when when the Senate kind of came to uh, an agreement on it, Biden took a bit of a victory lap, calling out people like me, frankly, Joe, you know, <laughs> who had expressed doubts and wondered whether they'd be able to get this over the goal line. Of course, it's not yeah. fully over the goal line yet. So, uh, you know, I, I think that we will hear Joe Biden pivot to that. They started pitching it into sort of the statements of what is on his agenda not all Afghanistan all the time. So I think they're going to pivot to this and try to push it forward. I really wonder who will blink. But I think I think Jack's comment on on parsing the statements from these moderates, I think, is very astute. You know, they, this, this is not a united block, absolutely 100% dug in. Mm-hmm. And all have a vested interest in getting something into this bill, right? Uh, Jack, what will be the end game next week. It's a relatively brief visit for uh, for House lawmakers. Yeah, they're just coming in. Uh, they're, they're supposed to set the stage for a, a couple things, but the main focus is the budget resolution mm-hmm. that has the instructions for the $3.5 trillion bill. They're not going to get the whole bill done. The goal yeah. is to get the bill drafted by September 15th, and that might not even be realistic. So it, it's not a lot of work to do. It's just the question as to whether they have the votes, if there are enough people to to block it. If they lose more than three votes, they don't have a majority anymore. Uh, but really, they're not doing a ton of work next week. They just are trying to uh, do that whip count and and get enough of those nine members to, to crack under pressure. Yeah, boy, it's going to be interesting and uh, hot 
here in Washington. <laughs> now, I do want to I do want to turn to the vaccine news. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, Josh uh, acknowledged it pretty quickly. But this this is a significant headline that the FDA, according to The New York Times, uh, will give full approval as opposed to emergency authorization to the Pfizer vaccine on Monday. Josh, this coincides with a real effort by the White House to increase the vaccination rate, and we've actually seen it happening back above a million shots a day, I think two days in a row now. Does this make more people comfortable to get the the Uh, vaccine? It depends on who you ask. Joe Biden thinks it will make more people comfortable, and I should give credit to Politico, who actually had this before the time, so credit to Politico's reporters for it. Bloomberg has matched it. I'm told that this is coming Monday or Tuesday. A reminder, Pfizer until now has been given under what's called an EUA, an emergency authorization. This is the next step, a full approval. You know, Biden, as, as we said, just circle back to the, the start of it. He thinks that this might take away one reason why people wouldn't want to get the vaccine. Others are, you know, dubious about that. At least in some cases, they think people who are saying they're not getting it because it's not fully approved might find another reason to not get it. But, you know, in Biden's perspective, is everything helps. He also thinks, Joe, that this will give stronger legal and sort of moral, if you will, footing for businesses, schools, agencies like that yeah. to impose vaccination requirements now that you've got a drug that is approved rather than just authorized. So, again, expect this as of now to come Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, he has made that suggestion, Jack, that this might make it easier to essentially regulate uh, or the, the need for uh, vaccines right down to mandates within yeah. the military. For you know, this is one piece that fits in with other pieces. I don't think there is a, a panacea or just a, a silver bullet that that takes away everybody's hesitancy about the vaccine. But one, some people could see this and say, OK, I'm more comfortable with a vaccine Two, other government officials, other businesses could be encouraged. And that's where Biden has kind of nudged people and uh, and spoke. He has spoken positively about at least the idea of mandates. Uh, He's not mandating vaccines at the federal level, but this could nudge people uh, at the local level or even just more businesses requiring proof of vaccinations to go to a concert or or whatever uh, to, to do that. Let's just note that in the space of this broadcast, we've been on less than an hour. Josh Wingrove already has a story with a byline on this. To your point, Josh, I've been fooling around on the radio here, obviously, but not only have you matched the other reporting, he's written the full story. Pfizer COVID vaccine. You let me off the hook for one segment. You see what happens? He goes home and, yeah, on a Friday, he goes to write instead of, (laughs) anyway, uh, you point out toward the end of the column, Josh. The president has yet to nominate a permanent head of the FDA. This keeps coming up in briefings. When's that going to happen and how come it's been so difficult? Yeah, after tooting Politico's horn, let us toot Bloomberg's who broke this last night. They've decided against Janet Woodcock, uh, who is the acting commissioner, decided against nominating her for the permanent post. Joe Biden has signaled that this is simply because they do not think she has the votes. Joe Manchin and others have raised doubts about her in particular in the controversy over the approval of an Alzheimer's drug from June. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. told that a, another pick, another name, is not particularly imminent, Joe. Wow. So we're going to be waiting, I think, a while. She can serve until November 15th and a little longer if the nominee is in place and in process by then. Of all agencies, to not have someone running it in this period of time, uh, that really sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, find Josh's column on the on the terminal, of course, about the Pfizer COVID vaccine. And Josh Wingrove, we do thank you for being with us today. You've had a heck of a week and great reporting. Uh, Bloomberg News White House correspondent. Jack Fitzpatrick with us as well in the Friday Reporters Roundtable from Bloomberg Government, who's 
doing amazing work on Capitol Hill, and you're going to have a busy one next week, yep. Jack. So let's yeah. connect when we get to that. Bloomberg Sound On, brought to you by SEI. Since its founding 50 years ago, SEI has provided investment managers and asset owners with robust infrastructure platforms and flexible outsourcing solutions. Go to SEIC.com slash IMS. Hey, have a weekend, but don't stop listening to the news and don't turn away from the terminal in a time like this. The headlines are flying. I'll meet you back here Monday, the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.